All right, good evening. Good to see all you guys here tonight. And I get it. It's Super Bowl Sunday, and all eyes are in Los Angeles, California tonight. And there's nothing more uh, countercultural for us to do than to have church and to preach a sermon as everybody else has their eyes on the Super Bowl. I don't know if it's countercultural or it's a little bit crazy, but either way, we're going to do it. Uh, so all, all eyes are on Los Angeles at a Super Bowl. Uh, but we're going to have all eyes tonight on the Word of God. And, uh, we're, and in this passage, 1 Timothy chapter 4, I want to read verses 11 through 16. All eyes are going to be on the pastor. Uh, that's where we're, our eyes are going to be tonight. And I, I said last week I was going to title the sermon, uh, How to Be a Super Pastor. But I had to change my mind real quick because God doesn't expect me to be super. And I don't think you want me to be super. God expects me to be faithful and you want me to be faithful. Amen. The title of the sermon tonight isn't how to be a super pastor. It's how to be a, a good pastor. Uh, actually, I put what every good pastor must do. And I'm going to give you two things that every good pastor must do. And we'll get out of here. Two points and, and we'll get on our way. So let's stand together and we'll look at what every good pastor must do. And I'm going to read to you verses 11 through 16. What every good pastor must do. Verse, starting with verse 11, this is where we left off last week. It said, these things command and teach. Verse 12, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto thy doctor, unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. I like that. That last verse talks about me, myself, and those who are listening to me. That's application for both of us here tonight. So tonight, what every good pastor must do. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. I'm glad to be here tonight. I'm glad you've given us this opportunity to open up your word and to study it. And I pray that you'd help me to do it well tonight. I've studied, I've, I've put in the effort, um, been a workman this week in, in, the, in my office. And God, I pray that there would be fruit from it. That the people who are listening would have ears to hear what you have to say. And God, as I read this and study this, I, my prayer has become help me to be a good and faithful pastor. Now, that's all that I want to be. And I want it to be according to your standard and no one else's. Help me to be a good and faithful pastor, like this says, to do these things. And we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. I actually got online this week. I was going to look up uh, the jobs for pastors. And I wanted to see what kind of responsibilities and qualifications churches were looking for. It's been almost 12 years since I even had an idea of looking for a church. So I thought, what are, what are they wanting out there now? So I went to a popular website that had churches on it. And I found a job description for a pastor at a typical Southern Baptist church. This is what they're looking for. This is what they expect out of their pastors. And, and I just, I just printed it off. You guys can see it here. The job description of a pastor. What they expect out of him. And this is what it says. He, he needs to be active and transparent in his prayer life. He needs to maintain a visible presence at the church and in the community. He needs to demonstrate appropriate theological, doctrinal, and administrative skills. He needs to be a graduate of an accredited seminary and willing to, to further his education to another seminary. 
He needs to lead in planning, coordinating, and evaluating every worship service of the week. He needs to prepare and schedule and deliver two sermons a week. And I thought, well, that's pretty good. And then it went to the next page. He needs to lead staff in evangelism and effective outreach program. He needs to meet with the body on a regular basis. He needs to fulfill all pastoral duties. That, that contains a lot. He needs to provide administration, leadership, support the local church program, and co- cooperate with civic and denominational affiliations. And that's, that's, a, that's a long list of things that they're expecting out of a pastor there. And, and to be honest with you, it's not a whole lot. That, that's a, the normal thing that people expect out of a pastor. Anywhere you go, and I looked at several others, they're asking the same thing. And pastors do these things and more. Uh, I, I've done all these things, and I've done more than that. I am probably the best bulletin folder that you'll ever find. Uh, I've, I've printed bulletins, I've folded bulletins, I've handed out bulletins, and, and I mean, you do all kinds of things. You've got to be a, uh, wear all kinds of different hats as a pastor and do a, a multitude of, of, of things in, in the church. And, and I look at these lists of things that they give, and, and my question becomes, why can't we just simplify that? Why can't we just, I don't want to say make it easier, but give us the, the bare minimum. Give us, uh, here's what a pastor has to do. If he wants to be, I don't want to say successful, but faithful in, in this church, here's what he has to do. Here's a, a handful of things. Here's four or five things. Here's enough that you can fit it on a coffee mug. And here's what you can hang on your wall in your, in your office and say, I've got to do these things. And I think that's exactly what Paul does for Timothy here. He gives him, here's what you have to do, Timothy. Here's a, a list. If you do these things, and you'll find where we started this in verse 6. If you do these things, look what it says. If you put, thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. If you want to be a good one, Timothy, here's what you have to do. And then he gives a list. And, and that word good, as I said last week, it's noble, it's excellent, it's uh, worthy of appreciation. If your pastor doesn't do these things then in October, don't give him a pastor's appreciation month. He's not worthy of appreciation. If you want to be good, excellent, noble, faithful, then do these things. And he gives us, starting in verse 6, going all the way to verse 16, a long list of things. About as long as that list I gave you from that church. And I thought, Paul's given us too many things. It's still a lot. It's hard to remember these things. So what I did this week, and I, I worked so hard at it. I was trying to narrow it down, to, to simplify it. Paul just, just put it in a, in a few words. So I put everything that he had. All these, I said last week there might have been 9, 10, 11 of them. And I put them all into two categories. And, 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 and they all fit perfectly. I'm not trying to stuff them into two categories. It's like Paul's saying there's two things you have to do. There's two categories. And if you do these two things, you'll be a good servant. If you don't do these two things, you won't be a good servant. So tonight I want to look at those two things. And, and then he goes on at the end. I said that if you do these things, you'll save yourself and you'll save those who hear you. Those two things are the most important things in the church for a pastor to do. You can put these two things on a coffee mug. You can put these on your wall in your office. You can put this on the, the, the responsibilities of a pastor as you're looking for one. Here's two things that every pastor must do. And if a pastor would do these two things, it would cure a lot of ills in the church. So let's look at these two things. What every good pastor must do. I'll go ahead and give them to you. He must, must preach faithfully and live godly. That's the two things. And I want to give you those, and, and, and we'll just work our way through this passage. Starting with number one, every good pastor must preach faithfully. This is his preaching. This is the preaching of the pastor. 
And my question there is, what does it mean to preach faithfully? Because we can easily just throw that out there and say, okay, my pastor preaches faithfully. But to preach faithfully, you have to preach biblically. And here Paul gives us, you guys will love me for this, six characteristics of faithful preaching. I said two points. (laughs) I've given you all kinds of extra points today. So six characteristics of faithful preaching. And then if you look at it down in verse 12, he gives us five or six characteristics of godly living. We've got like 10 or 12 points tonight. So (laughs) you'll never make it to the Super Bowl. So let's look at, first of all, the six characteristics of faithful preaching. First of all, in verse 11, we're going to just work our way through this. Verse 11, he says, these things, which I think that goes back up to to the words of faith and good doctrine. That's the, the Bible. That's what we teach. But he says in verse 11, these things command and teach. I, I like that word command there. It's a, it's a great word. The word command, you, you know that word. It's almost like a, a drill sergeant telling, uh, so, someone in the army, you're going to have to do these things. He's ordering that. He's commanding that. A drill sergeant doesn't suggest things. A drill sergeant commands things. A drill sergeant's not going to sit back and say, hey guys, I wish you'd do some stuff. He raises his voice. He gets in their face. He points his finger. That's what a drill sergeant does, and that's the the word that he uses here. So the first characteristic of faithful preaching is it has to have power behind it. There has to be some authority behind the preaching. There has to be preaching that's not just standing back and saying you can take it or leave it, but it has to be a a, a finger point about it where you're reaching out and, and grabbing the person by the lapels and saying you must do something. It must come with some authority and power. That's preaching. We're not just passing along information. It has to be more than that. It has to have authority. There has to be power behind it. Paul said, I command everyone everywhere to repent. There's always got to be a a command to the preaching. Drill sergeants command. Football coaches, it's Super Bowl Sunday, command some things. They don't look at the quarterback and say, if you want to, go run that play. Go run that play. Politicians have to have some command about them. I think one of the most commanding speeches I ever heard was Reagan standing up and saying, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. A lot different than what we hear from politicians today. But preachers have to have a little command about them. Now this is lacking in a lot of churches. There's a lot of, well, let's sit down and have a conversation about it. There's a lot of whispering in the pulpit. There's a lot of suggestions in the pulpit. I'm going to call it, there's a lot of not powerful preaching, but wimpy preaching in the pulpits. People don't want to hear the, the power and the authority. And again, the power and authority doesn't come from the man. It comes from the Word of God. So when you open up the book and you believe that it's a, an authoritative Word of God, then you will preach it in a, in a way of authority. There's a lot of entertaining preaching today. Interesting preaching today. Wimpy preaching today, but there's not a whole lot of thus saith the word of God. There's not a lot of bold, courageous, head-on, combative, uh, confronting preaching. There's not a lot of commanding, powerful preaching. And when Jesus got done preaching, they were amazed, not really at the, the words that he said, but that he spoke as one having authority. There was power in John the Baptist. There was power in Paul. There was power in Jesus They because they spoke with authority. This is what God's Word says, and this is what you must do because of it. Faithful preaching has authority behind it. Power. Number two, faithful preaching must be the priority. 
I'm going to skip verse 12. We'll come back to that. But verse 13, it says, Till I come, give attendance to. And I'm just, I just, just stop there. But it, he says, Until I come, and, and I'm on my way. I know you're in trouble, Timothy. I'm coming. Until I get there, I want you to make the focus of your ministry the pulpit. I want you to be a preacher. Devote yourself. That's what it says. Give attention to. Always, never stopping, committed to preaching. He shows here that job number one, Timothy, till I get there, don't you worry about all those other things they want you to do. I want you to job number one to preach the word. There's other things that we can do as a pastor. I can give you a long list of things that churches want from pastors, but the number one thing on the list should be preach the word. I think it should be preach the word. Do this, this, this. Preach the word over and over and over. Make preaching the priority. You judge a church by its preaching. The church will rise no higher than the preaching of the church. It rises and falls, they say, by the pulpit. Martin Luther said the Lord rules His church with an open Bible in the pulpit. And there's been men who's made it a priority throughout church history. Some of your most faithful men, your Martin Luther's and your Martin Lloyd-Jones's. Just to open a Bible in the pulpit. I mean, just go, go down the list of John Calvin preaching for 20, 25 years. Same pulpit. Just opening up a Bible and preaching the, the Word. So that's the priority. Make the, the preaching the priority. Number three, the pattern. He tells us how. Verse 13. At the end there. Still I give attendance. Here's the things you do. Here's what preaching looks like. Here's the pattern of preaching. Till I come, give attendance to Reading, exhortation, and doctrine. So there's the things. Here's how to preach. We don't get to change preaching. We don't get to decide how preaching is to be done. We don't get to reinvent preaching. The Bible tells us, here's how you are to preach. I love this because this is how we do it. These, these three things are in every sermon that I preach. Number one, if you see it, do it, do it this way. Preach this way. Number one, read it. That's not hard. Read it. That's what he says there. Stand up and read the passage. That's a, it's a huge statement just to say, read it. The only perfect thing that I ever say in a sermon is the reading of the Word of God. In Nehemiah, he had them stand the entire time he read the Word of God in honor of the reading of the Word of God. So you start out by reading it. Everything I have to say here today is going to come from what I'm reading here right now. It's, it's again, you're starting out real well when you read the Scriptures. Here's the text. Tell them what it says, number one. Then, teach them what it means. That's, that's the word, I'm going to skip exhortation and we'll come back to it. But doctrine. You read it, then you tell them what it means. You're going to work your way through the passage and you're going to tell them, you can't just read it. That's what it says. I need to know what it means by what it says. So I'm going to teach them doctrine. And then back to verse 11, it says, and teach. So we're doing the same thing. We're explaining it. We're, we're, we're interpreting it. We're saying, here's what God means by what God says. The pastor should spend his week in the, in the study trying to find out the right interpretation of the passage. There's one interpretation of every passage, and it's God's interpretation, and it's my job to sit in a study and try to find out what God means by what God says. So you teach them, you, and that's where you work through your doctrines and your theology, where you're going to put things in categories and ha have it all just, just 
where it all fits together. So there's your teaching. There's not a lot of this in our area. Not a whole lot of pastors standing up to teach. Working their way through a text. And then the next thing you do, and we do this every sermon. Read it and tell them what it says. Teach it and tell them what it means. Third, show them how it applies to their life every day. That's the exhortation. That's what exhortation means. Tell them what to do with it now. You can sit there and tell them what it says and what it means, and they can sit in the pews and say, so what? What good does this do me tomorrow? I need to know how this applies to my life. And that's the exhortation. That's where you, you bring it home. That's where you, you, you put it in their life and you apply it. Here's what to do with what God said. And, and here, you're calling for a verdict. You've got to do something about this. You're persuading and you're pleading and you're calling and you're inviting and you're encouraging. I wrote all these words down. And you're comforting and you're warning and you're convicting and you're, you're begging. That, that's, the, that, that's Come on, you've got something you need to do here. You can't leave here the same as you came in. There's exhortation involved. Make a decision today. Do you see that? Read it. Teach it. Apply it. He says that that's what we do here. I believe that this is how we encounter God through the text in a life-changing way. Reading it, telling them what it says, and applying it. It hits the whole man. This kind of preaching, Steve Lawson would say, is playing with a full deck. Because your mind is taught, your emotions are stirred, and your will is drawn. This is what preaching does and should do every time you hear it. Faithful preaching follows this pattern. Number four, we'll get to the game. Keep hanging in there. The perseverance of preaching. Go down to verse 14. He says, neglect not the gift that's in thee. He says, don't neglect the gift. Don't, and, and what, what would neglect be? That you're, you're not paying attention to. He's already told him to, till I come, give attendance to, or to pay attention to. So in verse 14, he's saying, don't neglect it. Don't put it aside. Don't leave it over there and, and not do it. So he's saying here, don't neglect the gift. What gift did Timothy have? The gift of preaching. He's saying, don't neglect that. What's going on here is, Timothy's facing a tough time. I believe he's neglecting it. I believe that he's become careless with it. I believe that, that Timothy's facing, he's, he's in over his head. We, we've already studied a lot of that. I don't want to get back into it. He's got unqualified elders. He's got unqualified deacons. They're telling him what to do. He's got uh, passive men. He's got aggressive women. He's got stomach pain. That Paul says, you have to take something for that. He's backing off. He's pulling back. He's toning down. He's keeping the peace. He's preaching less. He's not trying to offend anyone. He's young. They're old. They've been there a long time. He's been there a short time. They're looking at him saying, it was my church before you came. It's my church now. It'll be my church after we run you out. You better tone it down, man. You better not hit too hard. You're being too authoritative. You're a young man giving me a, 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 a finger point. How dare you? So Timothy, a timid man, is, is backing off. He's neglecting the gift. He's not preaching anymore. He's went from maybe an hour sermon to, let's, let's, do, let's do 30 minutes. He's, he's gone from maybe three times a week to, we'll cut out at one service and do two. He's backing off. He's maybe 
not applying the text. You need to do this with it. He's got some angry old men sitting there with a scowl on their face saying, don't you tell me what to do. So he's backing off. And Paul looks at him here and says, don't you dare stop. Don't you dare lay it up. Look what he says, neglect not the gift that's in thee. You remember back to that time we laid hands on you? Told you you had a gift. This was your job. This was your duty. This is what you're, you were gifted by God to do. Don't you dare back off, Timothy. Amen. If anything, you rev it up a little bit. You keep it going. You strap yourself in that pulpit and you don't, you don't come down from there until you preach the whole counsel of God. Preach the Word, 2 Timothy 4. Be in season and, and out of season. Do it when they want it. Do it when they don't. H.B. Charles says there's only two seasons to be preaching when they want it and when they don't. In season and out of season. So you do it all the time. Amen. So he says, preach the word. You, you keep on. You, you persevere. You do it on Super Bowl Sunday night when nobody shows up and you do it when everybody shows up on Easter. You just keep preaching the word. I like that. Because I think we're in danger of doing the same exact thing that Timothy was doing. So what are we doing? We're neglecting the preaching of the Word of God. Not in this church, but in the culture of America we're living in. There's less preaching today than there's ever been in the history of America. We used to have preaching all the time. It was Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and maybe even a few Bible studies in the week. And now we've gone from, from all that, and, and every one of them was an hour long. Now, it's, I would take the Sunday night away. Everybody's too busy. Wednesday night, everybody's too busy. And on Sunday morning, let's make it 20 minutes. We'll sing for an hour, preach for 20 minutes. People are hearing less preaching today than they ever have. Preachers are preaching less today than they ever have. Preaching is so bad today because nobody's doing it. We're neglecting the gift. We're backing off. We're toning it down. We're keeping the peace. We're pulling back. We're in danger. I'm neglecting the preaching because nobody wants it. We need to preach more and we need to hear more. I heard somebody say the other day that there's nothing any better for your soul than an hour of preaching. I believe it. I did as you say, well, Josh, you can say that because you're the one preaching. I'm probably listening to more preaching than anybody in here. I'm running 15 miles a week and every mile I'm, I'm listening to a sermon. We need more preaching, not less preaching. Let's quit neglecting the gift. I don't even know what number I'm on. I think it was number four. Let's look at number five. Remember the preoccupation with preaching. <laughs> I know Johnny gets this when I've talked to him about it. Look down here. Verse 15, he says, meditate upon these things. Give yourself wholly to them. You know what that means? He's saying there, take great pains with these things. Give everything you have to them. Bury yourself in it, buddy. Put your nose in your Bible and don't you bring it out until you're ready. Be consumed by it. Be absorbed in it. Be wrapped up in it. Give yourself wholly, entirely, everything you have to the preaching of the Word of God. That's what he's saying there. I mean, you, you see it. Take great pain. Give yourself wholly to it. It must. Here's where I, I'm, I'm going to see. I, I just said what it, I read it and I told you what it said. And I'm going to tell you how we apply that. If you're preaching week after week after week, the preaching never leaves your mind. I tell Steph, there's a window, and it's not always open. 
between about 8 o'clock on Sunday night and about noon on Monday where preaching is not on my mind. And that's not always the case. Every other day, every other hour of the week, my mind is thinking about the last sermon I just preached and how bad it was <laughs> and how I'm going to preach the next one that's coming up. Preaching never leaves your mind totally consumed. I'm saying that's a good preacher. And I'm not saying I'm good. I'm just saying I am consumed by preaching. I'll wake up in the middle of the night and then start writing down notes. I've, I've, I've always got a passage on my mind. You should be wholly consumed by your preaching. And last, the progress of preaching. We've made it through these pretty good. He says there, meditate upon these things. Give yourself wholly to them so that your progress may be obvious to all. The King James would say that thy profiting may appear to all. So number six would be progress. I've given you these, and again, I've had these in an outline for a while, but the power of preaching, the priority of preaching, the pattern that you have to follow of preaching, the perseverance, the preoccupation, and lastly, the progress. So that your progress will be evident to everybody. That it will be clear as day, this guy's getting better and better and better. That people walk in, hadn't heard you in 10 years, and they're going to say, that's, it. That, that's a different man up there. I'm either listening better or he's preaching better. One way or the other, I'm getting more out of it than I ever have before. That you will continually progress in the, 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 the task of preaching or the gift of preaching. That you will grow, that you will develop, that you will always be taking your preaching to the, to the next level. That you're never complacent that here's where I'm at in my preaching, but it's always here's where I'm at, but I've got to get here and I've got to get here. I've always got to be getting better at my preaching. God has called me to this and I've got to be the best that I can be for God. That you're getting better year after year. That there's no mediocrity. There's no stagnation. That you have a better understanding of truth year after year. That you're doing better in theology and putting things in, in categories and understanding how they all fit together and piece together. That you're working through passages better and outlining them better. And you have more skill with a text. I was talking to a guy this week and he said, how many sermons do you think you've preached in the last 12 years at that church? I said, we'll figure it out. Three sermons a week, 11 and a half years. I'm not good at math. I said, you do it. And he come back with 1,800 plus sermons. And I thought, let me go back and look at some of the first ones. So I went back and opened my filing cabinet, and there, there they were. And I thought, that don't belong in a filing cabinet. That belongs in a wastebasket. <laughs> That's some, it was some of the words. I mean, and it, it was just terrible. I mean, why would they sit and listen to that? I mean, I, I, I wouldn't go across the, the road to listen to somebody preach that. And I thought, well, maybe I've progressed. You should always be progressing in your preaching. I appreciate that you guys, me as a 29-year-old man coming in here, that you sit through some rough sermons, and maybe you still do today. But in 20 years, I better be even better than I am right now. The progress should be obvious to all. That people see it. Your wife should see it. Your kids should see it. 
And she got a, a young teenage boy that comes up to you after every sermon and shakes your hand and says, Dad, that was a good sermon. I have that after every sermon. Dad's getting better. Dad, that was good today. Or Steph, we look at you and say, wow, that's, that's not like you were in pound when you were 24 years old. Or people sitting in the pews can say, I see progress in him. That's what he's saying. These are the things that it means to preach faithfully. Again, the power behind it, the priority of it, the pattern you have to follow, the perseverance that you're just going to keep on preaching even when they don't want it, that you're going to be preoccupied by it and you're going to progress week after week, month after month, even year after year. You're going to keep getting better. People asked me one time, Josh, why did you go to, get a, to California to get further your education? Did you want the, the DR? I had no desire whatsoever for the DR. That was not my, in my sights. My sights were, I can't stay the same. And if I go out there, I think it'll take me to the next level in my preaching. Amen. So I did it. And it's always got to be doing that. So there's the six characteristics of faithful preaching. I could, I could stop there. We could go straight to home and to the Super Bowl, but I've got one more point. Because preaching isn't enough. Preaching has to come with a life well lived. If the preaching is great and the life is bad, it's a bad pastor. So the second point, the last thing we'll talk about, isn't just that we have to preach faithfully, but every good pastor will live godly. The personal life of a pastor and the preaching must go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. You can have a great life and be a lousy preacher, or you can be a great preacher and have a lousy life. Those two things don't make a good pastor. What makes a good pastor is a personal life that is godly and preaching that is faithful. So back to verse 12. This is the only verse we'll look at, but he says, let no man, which is let no man, no, no, not one person, nobody in that church, let them despise your youth. And I, that's where I got that. There's some, somebody in the church that's older than him and they're looking down and, and despising him. They, they don't like him. You, you're too young to tell me what to do. That's what they're saying there. You're, and, and, and so we know he was young. How old was Timothy? By everything I've read, he was probably in his mid-30s. Young went all the way to 39 years old to them. And once you hit 40, you were considered old. <laughs> and, and also wise and mature. So Timothy hadn't got there yet. So Timothy at 35 years old is still looked at as, as, a, as a young man with, with, with no wisdom and, and no maturity. He's immature and he's not somebody that, that we can listen to. So the older crowd was despising him. Not, I'll say this, not respecting him because he was young. That when he got up to preach, they'd sit there and say, I ain't, got, I ain't listening to him. Who's that guy think he is? And I get that. When I was preaching in Pound, I would get up. I was 24 years old, just getting started. And I think, this is the greatest sermon that's ever been preached. Everybody in here should be doing exactly what I say. And, and the people in the pews were thinking, this is the guy we saw grow up in Pound. I ain't listening to him. Then I went to Elon in, in, in Appomattox. 
I'm 27 years old and I'm going in there and I'm, I'm just a, I'm, I'm on fire and I'm trying to tell all these people what to do. And the, the, everybody in there is double my age. Who is this guy? And, and so I get this. So they're looking down on him and saying, how can we respect him? He's young. He's changing things. We can't listen to him. So how can Timothy, this is so good, gain the respect of that older crowd in that church? How can any preacher who's standing up to preach gain any respect of the people in the pews? And the answer is living a godly life. You back up your preaching with your living. That's what he's saying here. He says, let no man despise your youth, but... Be an example. I like that. That word example, it means to leave a mark. It means to make an impression. It's the same word that was used when uh, they asked to see Jesus, the mark on his hand. The doubting Thomas said, I won't believe until I see the mark. That's what it is. It's an impression. It's a, it's a, a mark in his hand. Uh, how can you impress them? How can you gain their respect? How can you leave a mark that when, when, when you walk away, they're going to say, this is what I remember about him. That it won't be his humor or, or his style or how he grew the church, but it will be his godliness that stands out. That if you preach faithfully and you live in a godly way, you become a, a good pastor. So to become someone that they can respect because he's living what he's preaching. And, and get this, if you don't live that way, then you lose respect and nobody listens to your preaching. And we've seen a lot of preachers live an ungodly life and ruin whatever it is they're saying. So you have to have both of those things. So he says here, it'll be your godliness. I heard a preacher preach last week, listen to, to a preacher, he got up and was bragging about how he lived a bad life. That's not somebody I want to follow. That's not somebody we respect, is it? That's not somebody I want to listen to. Turn that off. That's junk. That's garbage. He said earlier, the last week he said, refuse that stuff. Profane. Just push it away. Don't listen to that. So I turned it off. I don't want to hear that. So he says, no, 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 no. You guys, you, 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 Timothy, you be godly in all areas of your life. And let me give you just a hand. Just go down the list here. How, where to be godly? And I think it covers every part of their life. But be an example of the believers. Make an impression to the believers. That's the people in the church. Leave a mark. Gain the respect by being godly first in your words. Listen to a pastor talk. And this is not in a sermon. Because a pastor can talk real good up here and talk real bad out in public. This is talking about when you're talking to him one-on-one. -on -one. In a day-to-day -day basis, you hear how a man talks and you can tell what kind of heart he has. The Bible says that, that you out of the heart man speaks. So how he speaks person to person on a day-to-day -day basis, out in public to, to people that he's talking to, how he talks says a lot about who he is. So a pastor must be godly in his conversations, in his, in his words. It ought to be, I just wrote down a list here, and I went to several different passages, I don't have time to, to go into them tonight, but it ought to be honest words. Pastor shouldn't be a lying man. If you have a lying pastor, 
Why should I listen to a word he says in the pulpit? His words should be filled with grace and kindness. There should not be malice and slander and gossip in his words. What kind of man do you want to listen to who goes out and is, is slandering people during the week? There should be clean talk. No obscenities, no filthy talk. I've heard pastors just, just in the last week get up in a pulpit and say some of the ugliest things you could ever hear. I'm not letting my kids listen to that. If he's talking like that up here, it's untelling how he's talking out there. Using things, language uh, up in the pulpit that you should never use, even in, in private. His words should be encouraging, not belittling. And again, I'm talking about, I was telling my kids that the other day, again, I'm talking about personal conversations. I'm talking about day-to-day life. I'm not talking about up here. But still, I think a pastor should not be belittling people from the pulpit. But out in life, I don't think he should be belittling people and talking down to and and down about people. I told my kids the other day, they they were being so mean to each other. I mean, that's how it works, you know. Gracie talking to Isaiah in a mean way. So Isaiah turns around and talks to Christian in a mean way. And Christian turns around and talks to Emma in a mean way. And they never talk about Hallie in a mean way. She's just the sweetest thing on earth. It'll probably get there. She'll grow up and Hallie or Emma will look at her and say, say something mean. And I looked at them and I said, well, this, we're on the same team here. Why can't you say encouraging things to each other? Don't you want to lift each other up? Instead of tearing each other down? It feels so good when somebody lifts you up. Ain't that how you want to make people feel? That's what a pastor should do. I've been praying recently. God help me to find somebody to encourage today. First, first thing when I get up. I want my preaching to, be, to become more encouraging. I want to encourage people. That's the words that we should have. Pastors must be godly in how they talk. In conduct, it says that that word conversation, everywhere else in the, in the Bible it, it, where that word is used, it's not conversation, it's, it's manner of life, it's behavior, that they should be godly in their, their day-to-day activities. At home, with their wife and kids, they should be godly. That they shouldn't be one man behind the pulpit and another man at home with a wife. That's called hypocrisy and the wife will see right through it. She won't respect a man. She won't listen to a man who acts one way up here and another way at home. Your kids, they better see the same man at home, a godly man at home, and a godly man in the pulpit. They better see both, or they'll see right through it, and as soon as they get old enough, they'll get out of that church. My dad's a fake! At games. (laughs) That's a tough one. You know, conduct on a day-to-day basis. I, I watch games now, and I'm thinking, everybody in here is going to see how I react when my kid gets fouled. <laughs> I'm sitting there biting my tongue. I'm sitting there eating Skittles. I'm just doing everything I can to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> I mean, my kids know it. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there, and, and Steph's like, you ain't reacting to anything. I'm, just, I'm like, I, I'm trying my best to, to be godly in my conduct and, and not scream at Roger. <laughs> He's not here tonight. I had that planned and he's not here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Miss, you'll tell him. 
You know, you got to, I've, I've seen it. You go to games, and, and I do it. I want to check that pastor out and see how he reacts, you know. You better watch. Conducts day to day. In your car, somebody pulls out in front of you. <laughs> I did that one time, I'm telling myself. There's a car pulled out in front of me, and, and, and Steph's like, blow at him! <laughs> And, you know, and I was, you know, I looked over to somebody from the church. And I'm like, <laughs> like, see, that's why we don't blow up people. I don't think of somebody here. But the pastors must be godly in how they spend money. I mean, just, that's what that conduct, that conversation, it's an everyday life. Pastors must be godly in how they live and how they love. It's just the next one in word and conversation and charity. That word charity is agape. A self-sacrificing, self-giving love, a self-serving love. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. A pastor must love his church in a way that he's giving his entire life to that church. That's how he lives. He's a giver, not a taker. He's giving his life away out of love. A congregation will know if you've got a loving pastor or not. I, I, it, I can stand up here and tell you I love you all day long. But you'll know if I do or not. You'll know. You'll know if a pastor loves you. And this love isn't about keeping people happy and giving them what they want, which is what a lot of pastors do. I love you. Just keep you happy, give you everything you want. That's not love. Can you imagine if I did that in my home and I looked at my kids and I said, just want to keep you happy and give you whatever you want. I love you. Yeah, cake for breakfast. Yeah. That's not love. If a pastor loves a church, he's going to keep them holy and give them what they need. That's love. The next one. In spirit and faith, it's, just, it's the same thing here. In faith, we're going to go with faithfulness. There's what the word actually means. It means he's consistent. That's what in faith, he's consistent. He's trustworthy. You can count on him. You can trust him. He's reliable. He's consistent, unswerving. You might not be here every week, but he is. That's a big one. That every time I, I show up, he's there and he's preaching. He's faithful. Yeah. He's always there for me when I need him. He's there to answer the phone. He'll text me. He'll call me. He's a faithful man. He's not a man who's up and down all around. You see those men. They're everywhere. They'll be at a church here for a year and a church here for six months and they're just all over the place going wherever they want to go and doing whatever they want to do. They're a flash in the pan. They're not a bandwagon. I had to throw that one in there. My boys are a bunch of bandwagon fans. Whoever wins tonight will be their favorite football team. You'll have pastors who, you know, that they're there sometimes and they're not there sometimes. It's just here today and gone tomorrow. You want a pastor who's an example you can follow in faithfulness. The good ones are faithful. The bad ones aren't. Last one, an impurity. This is it. I said I was going to end at 6 o'clock, and I've got 13 seconds. But it says there in faith and impurity. This is simple. That he lives a life that's an example to everybody of purity in the face of a, in, in the face of a world of nastiness. Timothy lived in a world of nastiness, probably more so than even our culture we're living in today. 
when it's impossible in our culture today to keep your eyes pure. You can't even walk through the grocery store aisle and look at the, the magazines and the things that are beside you. You can't scroll through Facebook without things popping up. You can't, I mean, you, you can't go anywhere without seeing things. And it's all the time thrown in your face everywhere you go. And, and you're, you're wondering, how can I keep pure in this filthy, evil, wicked world? And you look to the pastor and say, because I can follow what he does. He's a one-woman man. And he never looks at anybody else. He keeps his eyes pure. He keeps his mind pure. That in a world full of temptation... He's still pure. And the good ones do that and the bad ones don't. How many pastors do you know, and this is the last one, that have failed in their purity by not being a one-woman man? It happens all over the place. He may be able to preach a good sermon, but he can't stay with his wife. He's not worthy of, of, of following. So that's it. Your pastor must live a godly life. His godliness is, is greater than his giftedness. I think it said last week, Robert Murray McShane said, my people need my godliness more than they need anything else from me. Character is greater than your creed. Who you are is greater than what you do. Your purity goes hand in hand with your preaching. And he says in verse 16, and I'll close. But if you take heed unto yourself, look at the end, I think this is a summary. Take heed unto yourself and unto the doctrine. You get that? You see that? That's two things there. I think I figured this out. There's two things there that he wants us to take care of. Yourself and your preaching. He says that, take care of yourself and your doctrine. That's the two things we have. That's preaching faithfully and living godly. If you take care of those two things, that's the only two things, that's the two categories that he's after there. If you'll do these two things, and you'll continue in them, Timothy, and in doing that, You'll save yourself and those that hear you. You say, what does that mean? That the result will be good for you in your sanctification. Good for you in your your own life. Timothy, if you'll do this, get this, I I like this. If you'll do this, if you'll you'll follow this and you'll, you'll be faithful in your preaching and you'll be godly in your living, if you do that, it'll keep you in line, it'll keep you on track, it'll keep you doing what you're supposed to do, It'll be good for you. You'll save yourself. If nobody heard a word I said, every bit of this would still be good for me. You get that. If I spent all this time studying and I would get up and and nobody ever heard me, but I still did all these things and I I preached faithfully and I lived godly, it would be good for me. I, I, I would get a benefit out of it. You know that. But it would also be Good for those who hear you. You become an example for them to follow. You'll save them. You say, what does it mean by save? You'll keep them in line. You'll you'll keep them on on the right track. You'll you'll keep being an example to them. They'll they'll be somebody for for them to look to. You'll not only save yourself, it won't just be good for you, it'll it'll be good for everybody who hears you. If you'll do these two things, it'll benefit both Timothy and it'll benefit the church. And, and it's to me tonight, Josh, if you'll do these two things, if you'll preach faithfully and if you'll live godly, it'll be great for you, it'll be great for my kids, it'll be great for my wife, it'll be great for the whole church and anybody who hears me. Do these two things. You'll be a good preacher and you'll save yourself and those who hear you. That's, I love that. Do these two things. I, I think it's the simplest, it's the best, 
It's the most biblical way to be a good pastor. And I'll close with this. I don't know who said it, but I'm going to take it. It don't take much of a man to be a pastor. It just takes all the man. It takes everything he's got. And that's what he's saying. You say, I gave you a list of these things. There's more wrapped up in those two things than I have, than that I can spend a whole life in those two things. But if you do those two things, I think every bit of this other stuff will fall in line. And you will be a good pastor. And I'll close with this. If I do those two things, somebody needs to do that. Give me a coffee mug. Preach faithfully, live godly. (laughs) If I do those two things, then at the end of my life, when I stand before God, that's all i got to do, those two things. Just two things. He'll look at me and he'll say, the only words I ever want to hear, well done, good, and faithful servant. You've done the little things, the two things. That's all I want to hear. Do these two things. So I want to spend my life doing those two things. And I hope it'll be good for me. The Bible says it will be. And I hope it'll be good for you. It'll save me and it'll save you. It'll keep all of us on track. So that's what a pastor, a good pastor, must do. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. What it teaches us. I I know it was probably not the simplest of sermons. I was all over the place with different points. But I think the main two points were clear. And I pray that you'd help me to do those two things. I don't think there's anything that gets attacked more when it comes to a pastor than his his godly living and his faithful preaching. So help us to guard those things. Help me to guard those things. And I pray that it would be good for me and I pray that it would be good for our church. Help me, God, to be, again, a good and faithful pastor. And thank you for these good and faithful people who showed up tonight. And I pray that they were encouraged. I pray that their minds were taught. I pray that their emotions were stirred. And I pray that their wills were drawn, that they would be more faithful too. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.